You've tuned in to TV You Grew Up With, where we interview the people who created the greatest TV shows ever made. Here's your host, Jim Harold. Welcome to TV You Grew Up With. I am Jim Harold, and I'm so excited to be with you today. And I'm so excited to be with our guest because she is a television icon. I know sometimes folks throw that word around, but <laughs> in this case, Absolutely true. I'm talking about Cindy Williams. She, of course, uh, was the uh, co-headliner on that great program, Laverne and Shirley. And when I was a kid, you know, we watched a couple of shows back to back a lot of times, Happy Days and then Laverne and Shirley. Now, uh, she again is one of the most recognizable names and faces of 70s and 80s television. And she has a new book out. It's called Shirley, I Just a storied life. Cindy Williams, welcome to the program today. Well, thank you, Jim. It's great to be here. Why a book now? Why did you decide this was the right time to kind of take a look back and and talk about your career? You know, everybody asks me, why now, Cindy? Why did you choose now? And I, I don't understand that question except to say that the answer that I've you know, come to is, um, I, I didn't do one earlier because I, you know, I mean, if I'd written one at the height, a book at the height of Laverne and Shirley's, sure. um, popularity, I wouldn't have had all these wonderful stories. Um, I ha- you know, I was 26 years old, so it, it, um, it wouldn't have been the book that it is. And I had really no interest in writing um, like a memoir or an autobiography or anything like that. I I just didn't, and I certainly didn't want to write anything salacious or a tell-all. I had no interest in that. And, um, but uh, about 10 years ago, uh, Dave Smitherman, who's my co-author on this book, he um, came to me and said, and asked me if I'd be interested in writing a book. And I said, well, I'd be interested in writing stories about, my life, you know, and uh, because I've had been privileged to be around some wonderful, wonderful people, famous people, and and not just really interesting kind of um, not so famous people, and I I just I was very interested in writing uh, those stories down. Now, tell us a little bit about how, let's go way back (laughs) in the Wayback Machine, and let's talk about how you first got started in show business. Were you involved as a child? Did it come a little later? How did, uh, and when did Cindy Williams decide, you know, this is the thing for me? Well, um, I never per se said, oh, this is for me, because it was, you know, I come from a a, a blue-collar family mm-hmm. and you know the minute you'd mention anything like oh I'd like to be in the arts they were like learn to type faster <laughs> learn to take stenography take stenography learn how to take shorthand but um, I just from the time I was a child and I explained it in the book um, I was um, fascinated with television it was an escape for me as it is for many uh, people in their childhood and I, um, I became fascinated with the life there inside television, you know. And so I would mimic 
you know, I would mimic commercials as a small child. I would mimic characters on shows. And uh, I just loved it. I loved comedy. I loved, you know, old movies, old Cary Grant movies. And um, um, I loved this series called I Married Joan with Joan Davis. And I loved uh, The Honeymooners and um, uh, your show of shows with Sid Caesar and Imogene Coke. I was fascinated by their characters and by their lightheartedness and their ability to make me laugh. And I just started, you know, from then, um, my sister and I would put on shows in our garage out back and we'd have all the neighborhood kids and their pets come in and, you know, and, and watch our shows that we wrote and directed and produced. Mm -hmm. And, uh, then when I, um, got involved with, um, church, I would, um, I helped put on the ice cream social talent shows you know, and became in, uh, involved in that kind of a social atmosphere of community um, acting, so to speak. And um, and then I did talent shows in at camp, at church camp. And then when I got into high school, well, I wanted to uh, be in drama in junior high, but you had to have a B or B plus average. I don't remember which, and I didn't. And uh, and you had to be taking a foreign language, and I took French and failed miserably. But I wanted to be in that drama class, but I never got to be because of my grade point average. And um, so I did take it, however, in high school. Well, actually, I, I auditioned for the high school talent show, and uh, the drama teacher in high school was also a wonderful English teacher as well, uh, Ted Culp, Mr. Culp. He was putting the talent, you know, the high school talent show together. And so I not only got into the talent show, but he said, you know, I think uh, if you have an elective next year or or this coming semester, uh, he said, I think you should take um, drama. I'll put you straight into drama, too, into play production. So I did. And then the bug really bit me because I was introduced to Shakespeare and to all sorts of um, wonderful plays from the American theater. And I fell in love with it all. And so then when it came time for college, I went to Los Angeles city college, which had a wonderful theater arts department. And I went there and then the rest was just, you know, I, it was just luck and circumstance. Yeah, because I mean, a lot of college. times, a lot of times we'll talk to people and they'll say, "Well, I had an uncle in the business, or I, my family was in the business, or I knew people in the business. People have been doing it from a very young age." But you didn't have that advantage, so you just kind of had to, kind of, kind of maneuver and get yourself in a place where you're in the right place at the right time. It, well, right place at the right time, but you also have to believe. And when you're young, you know you you imagine everything can happen for you. You really do. And I really did imagine it and wish it and want it, but I was never fearful that I, that I wouldn't, uh, you know, that I wouldn't achieve it. I, um, they don't teach you in theater arts what to do after you walk out that door and you're in the real world, except to go and audition for regional theater or to audition, you know, for Broadway, go to New York. And I just, I decided I wasn't like an East Coast gal and I stayed in Hollywood. And I just, I just really had a nice time believing that everything was going to 
you know, turn out okay. But I, I didn't, I had no contacts in the business, nothing. And I didn't even understand the business, that there was a business. And, um, but I knew that I loved acting and I, 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 um, I wanted to do it any way I could. So I began by waiting tables. What, what, what do you consider your big break? What really was, this is the thing that happened that led to everything else. Well, you know, I, I, I tracked that all down in, in the book. It, it all goes in sequence and you can kind of see the lay of the land there, the big picture. But, um, I guess my, you know, uh, I think it was, I think my break actually was when I met Gary Marshall and Fred Bruce and they were starting, um, a management company this years and years ago, um, with young talent. And so I, I had a meeting with them and the way I got that meeting was through my college roommate who was at AFI. She was in a program for, um, uh, filmmakers, young filmmakers. Mm -hmm. And she said, Oh, you should go and see these, you know, the, the directors of the program and maybe you can get in. Well, I didn't get into that program, um, for various reasons, which I explain in the book, but they gave me the name of these two young producers are, they were young. They were starting a management company, as I said, and it was called compass management. And so I got a meeting with them and I went in and they liked me and they helped me get an agent. And those days you had to do a three minute dramatic scene and a three minute comedy scene at the agency in front of all the agents that's how you got an agent way back in the horse and buggy days. <laughs> and the thing that's interesting, I think, about your career, or one of the things that's very interesting, is that in the 70s, you had this whole 50s revival with things like American Graffiti and Happy Days and Laverne and Shirley. Well, actually, early 60s. Graffiti, I think, was set in 1962, but, but that kind of era. And you were in all three projects, starting out with American Graffiti. And if you read the list of people that were in that movie, you know, directed and co-written by George Lucas, George, uh, Richard Dreyfus, Paul Lamette, Ron Howard, Harrison Ford, yourself, Mackenzie Phillips, Wolfman Jack. I mean, that was uh, Suzanne Summers. That was some project. Yeah, some project to get into. Yes, it it, it certainly was, and um, and I talk about that how that happened in the book, which was you know I just they called for me to come in and meet this young director who was doing this low budget film. And I thought it was a hot rod film. And, well, it was, but I thought it was like, a, oh, I, I, you know, that the storyline was all about the cars, which it was, but it, that was just among other things. And um, I, I, I didn't want to go because I'd just gotten back from Spain where I'd been shooting a movie and I was so jet lagged that I didn't, I, I said, <laughs> no, I, I, and it was like I had... I had just landed and they woke me up out of a dead sleep and said, you've got to come in for this. We can't find the ingenue, you know, anyone to play the ingenue. We're sending the script over to you. I said, no, 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 I, I can't read it. I, I'm, I'm just out of my mind jet lagging. And they did anyway. And I read it and I said, well, it's great, but I don't want to play the part of Lori. I want to play Debbie, the bad girl, the part Candy Clark played. 
And they, and they said, no, that's already been cast. Candy Clark is playing that part. And I said, well, then I want to play, um, uh, uh, Carol, I guess her name was the Mackenzie Phillips role. And they said, are you kidding? She's a 12, she's 12 years old. I said, I'll put braces <laughs> on my teeth. I can do it. I can do it. And they said, heck no, we're casting a real 12 year old for that. So, um, anyway, by hook or crook, I ended up, um, getting over there. And then they wanted me to screen test. I met George and then they wanted me to, who maybe said, two words the entire interview hi and bye and um then he wanted me to come in and screen test the next day and i screen tested with ron howard and um and that was it and it's interesting to me because it almost seems that you were destined to be Shirley Feeney, because you think about the connections. You talked about you met uh, Gary Marshall, who, of course, was the, the producer of uh, of Happy Days and, and Laverne and Shirley. And then you met Ron Howard through this project. And then there was this whole, we had Don Most uh, on uh, a few weeks ago. He talked about the revival and the interest in that kind of era. The Happy Days thing had been kind of set on the, the shelf, and then they ABC brought it back out once American Graffiti was such a hit. So it almost seemed like right. your whole career there in those years was basically pointing you straight in the direction of Shirley Feeney. Well, Jim, I guess you're right. Good observation. <laughs> it happens, I, it I happens never put once that in a while. Together, but it, it did just, the dominoes just fell like that. But, you know, before I. Before Laverne and Shirley, I uh, right before it, I was I couldn't get a job, and I was I talk about this in the book, but I I landed this job with Penny Marshall, and we were writers for this um, zoetrope zoetrope project that's Francis Ford Coppola's company uh, called my com- my country tis of thee, hmm. which was going to be a bicentennial spoof, and they were hiring teams of writers. And they had, um, oh, well, Steve Martin and Carl Gottlieb were producing it. And then Martin Mull, Harry Shear. Um, wow. Oh, gosh, I can't remember who Some else. Great but names. It was, like, incredible writers. And then they hired me and Penny as a team to write. Now, I had only met Penny. Um, I, I, well, that's in the book, too, how I, I met her about a year before. And, um, and I really liked her. I just liked her. The cut of her jib. I just really liked her. And um, so we were writing partners. And what it was was just a, a maze of sketches um, that were going to be made into a movie and, and also musical numbers that depicted um, the founding of America up to uh, 1976. And uh, starting with the Mayflower. And um, so, and Carl and Steve would give us assignments of sketches to do. And Penny and I had the um, Salem Witch Trials. We had Sutter's Mill. Um, We had the U.S. Patent Office. And did I say the Salem Witch Trials? Yes. And um, that was a, and, and also everybody had to write how they, you know, sketches on the pilgrims coming to America. And we wrote, well, it was very funny. We just, we figured what if the people, what if the guy goes to buy a ticket on the boat and he can't, and it's like Ticketron, there's all sold out. And but there's a <laughs> guy with a catapult 
there's a guy with a huge catapult that's selling, you know, seats on the catapult. That he's going to catapult them over to Plymouth Rock. Oh, anyway, right. we did it. It was very funny. Bizarre, but funny. But not unlike some of the other sketches the boys were writing. So, um, anyway, um, um, yeah, so we were, so while we were writing, her brother, Gary, called, who I'd already met, you know, and I, and sure. from Compass Management, and um, Gary called and said, look, we have these two girls on the, you know, who date the Fonz and, and Richie, and we were wondering if you and, and Penny would come and, and play them. And their names are Laverne and Shirley, and, you know, will you come? And Penny and I said, okay. And so Carl Gottlieb let us go for a week. We, but neither one of us had really seen Happy Days. I didn't own a TV at the time. And, uh, and Penny hadn't seen it really. She knew her brother was doing this show. So we went over and we, we looked at these characters and boy, did we play them differently on that segment of happy days and we really we wanted to come in smoking and like uh we were fixing each other's you know underwear like our bras <laughs> we, were, we were fixing each other's lingerie under you know and and taking our pin curls out of our hair and chewing gum and smoking when we came into the first rehearsal like that smoke you know um when when we were putting it up on the stage smoking like that, chewing gum and looking around and calling, screaming, calling their names. And the director, to, um, Jerry Paris, yelled, stop, stop right now. What is this? You can't, we're a family show. You can't <laughs> be doing this in prime time. We had no idea what he was talking about. And he said, you can't smoke in prime time. And we said, all right, we'll put the, oh, we flipped the cigarettes across the room too. We put them out. She put hers out with her foot, and I flicked mine across the room. <laughs> so it was the like a, the Laverne and Shirley kind of bad girl version. Oh, we were very bad. Well, they had ringed it bad, and that's how Penny and I interpreted it. We didn't know we couldn't smoke or anything. We just were going to surprise them making this first entrance uh, during rehearsals. Oh, man. It went through the roof. But um, So we didn't do that, needless to say. and. Um, and so we did, we, we, you know, played the show and, and it was great. We had fun. And then we went back to our little writing job and, um, and about two weeks later, somebody called and said, and Penny was on the phone. She goes, there's a saying something about a thing called a spinoff. And I go, what is that? She goes, I don't know. And so she listened for a while and she told me, she goes, hey, here. And she had me take the phone and, and it was, um, Gary and they um, they wanted to. He said ABC loved the segment, the show with us in it, and they wanted to do a spinoff of the two characters. And we had no idea what that was. I mean, really, no idea what that was. And it had to be explained to us, meaning our own show. And so we hung up. We said our own show. Anyway, I write about it in the book and it's a lot of fun and what happened after that, why I almost didn't do it. Um, and, um, but the rest is show business history, Jim. <laughs> well, the one thing I would say, you know, you know, we talked to a lot of people that said, well, I, 
sometimes when people are on a big show like this, because we've had people from Hill Street Blues and Gilligan's Island and Happy Days and the Waltons and, you know, some of these big TV series over the years. And sometimes they'll say, well, yeah, we knew right away that this was going to be big. Uh, a lot of people say, you know, it was another job and it turned into something very special. In your case, I, I had to believe that there was at least the expectation that this could be huge because Happy Days was so big and, and being a spinoff from basically what was a top five show at the time, if not number one, you had to think, you know, we're under a lot of pressure here because the the, the microscope is on us because we've got the benefit of having this this huge uh, I think you were scheduled after the show, if I remember correctly, my my memory of being six years old. And then and then also just having the buildup from that show, I would have to think that the pressure was on to, to make a big success. No, we had no, okay. no idea. They had bought, uh, ABC had picked up four shows they were going to do after we did the pilot. And Penny and I both thought, four on, four off. I'm going to do four shows. I'm going to make my rent money for the year. And she kind of thought the same thing. We had no idea, nor did we feel any pressure. You know, we didn't feel any pressure from happy days because we didn't think twice about it. You know, I mean, it was just like, okay, so we're going to do this show. We're going to make it the best we can, but you know, it'll never go anywhere. Honestly, that's what Penny and I thought. And we had no, and then after the show was premiered, I remember Gary coming down onto the stage and he goes uh, the next day and he said, oh my goodness, we just premiered to 32, the highest audience in the history of television. Wow. And we still didn't know what that, I mean, I know it sounds stupid, but we were just, Penny and I, we just were very alike and very different, like the characters, very, very much alike. We could walk into a room after we, after not having seen each other for years, walk into a room together and see the same thing at the same time that was funny and have the same comment about it. That's how alike we are. But we have different processes in working. And both of us have a real work ethic, but it's very different. She's Johnny on the spot, got her lines down, ready to go. I, it takes me all week. It would take me all week because I'm dyslexic and, you know, and it would just, I'm slow, but I would, we'd invent together and we, we'd invent bits and things to do that we knew were funny. And, and the ones that weren't, we agree totally and throw them out. And, you know, it wouldn't take us nanosecond for us to, and we had like this, this shorthand talk to each other where we could discuss things and go, this isn't going to, I think going to laugh at that, but what if, what if we get it like this? And the other one would follow the other one right away, like harmony, like a harmony, whoever was leading it and great respect for her on the stage. And she had great respect for me. And I know people thought it was just this little Popeye comedy, but great thought went into it by the whole cast, not just Penny and me, great thought and respect for the audience and how we could entertain them and make them laugh. Um, when you think about it, I, I this is one of those shows where I couldn't imagine anybody else playing either Laverne or Shirley. It seemed like it needed specifically you guys to work. I can't put anybody else in my mind in those roles. Well, 
that's because it was unique in the fact that Penny and I are both physical comedians, and we didn't go, "Hey, we're physical comedians. We're going to." But just the way we would express things. If you took the script and gave it to two funny girls that weren't necessarily physical comedians, it would have been a different show. I think it seems to me that the show in some ways is a cousin to I Love Lucy in the sense of a lot of, I would always think of that. Even when I was younger, I would think of, this reminds me a lot of I Love Lucy in terms of some of the physical comedy, because really if I think about it in terms of women, unless you go on to people later on like Molly, Shannon, and like that, you don't see as many women playing physical comedy. No. No, you don't. And a lot of people did liken it to Lucille Ball and and uh, and um, um, I can't. Oh, her name has gone right out of my head. Vivian Vance. Um, Vivian Vance. Yes, God bless her, and she was funny. And but I, but there was a show on around that time when I was a kid and watching. I love Lucy in first run. And it was called I Married Joan with Joan Davis. And if you ever get a chance to see that show, she, physical comedian, her and also Imogene Coca. Yeah. And they shows, were like yeah. the women I watched and it just made me burst out laughing. Lucille Ball also, you know, but it wasn't, it, Lucille Ball is technically brilliant, absolutely brilliant. And I would just watch her, and it was it was like a mystery how she did it. And and then uh, uh, Joan Davis did I Married Joan, and I watched Imogene Coca, and Rosalind Russell was also um, great physically in her face, you know. But it was usually men back then, like Laurel and Hardy would make me laugh. Not so much the Three Stooges. They're more of a guy's kind of... Uh, <laughs> You know, comedy. They they were brilliant, absolutely. But uh, Penny and I, no, and cartoons. Penny and I, and I explained this in the book. Penny and I would think in cartoon terms. You know, ergo the catapult to get to uh, right. Plymouth Rock. But uh, we would think in you know Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck, uh, the Road Runner, uh, all those classic cartoon terms. And I remember on one of the first shows on the first season, we were supposed to be modeling, and she is modeling a jungle piece of lingerie. And we were so happy we were modeling for our girls' club, and that Rosie Greenbaum, you know, was president of or whatever. And so she was supposed to come in on a uh, a rope, and I was commentating, and I said, in this beautiful. Uh, negligee, Laverne, you know, uh, exposes the entire jungle or whatever I had to say. And she comes in and let her be, you know, you'll be the Jane to, to your to your Tarzan. And she comes in on this rope and Penny and I had thought it out and thought, okay, you'll come in swinging on the rope, you'll hit that wall and you'll slowly slide down the wall and then crumple. <laughs> then I'll go over, you know, and pick you up. And we never did it. We just marked it. We never did it until it was time to do it. And that's very reminiscent of the, the Roadrunner. You know, the Roadrunner and Wiley yes. Coyote. Yeah, that's that's exactly that's, the kind of thing you right. would say. Now, uh, right. one thing wrong ahead. with that, though, it doesn't happen in cartoon terms. When you hit the wall, you fall. 
fall straight to the yeah. ground. It's Newton's theory of, you know, gravity. Ouch. And so, <laughs> so we learned that cartoon terms can work in your mind, but not in the physical sense. Yeah, it sounds like that might have been a little painful. Um, I know you're you're we we're, we're winding down here, but I have a couple more things I want to ask you about. Um, you left the show before the end of the run, and I know at the time, and I vaguely remember there was some controversy around that. Um, was that by choice? Was that what were some of the? I know you talk about in the book, so certainly folks should pick it up to get the full story. But can you give us a feel for why why you left? It's so complex, and I, I, was, I was pregnant, and um, I, we were coming back into the season, and I got my contract to sign, and they had me working on the same day I was due to deliver the baby. Oh. And so I went to Paramount, and I said, you know, this is my due date. And they said, yeah. And I said, well, I can't be working on this date, and I need to be working less and less as it gets to this date. So of course. can't we do wraparounds? And um, it never got worked out, ever. And then just a bunch of stuff happened, which I don't go into in the book, because to go into it would be a downer. And my book is upbeat and fun to read. And, and it would also cast a disparaging shadow over... Paramount and Laverne Shirley, and I don't want to do that, and so I didn't, and I just, you know, basically, I know a lot of things have been said, and I haven't read them all, but the, but some of it I call hallucinations by people, because they just don't, you know, it's not the truth, but anyway, I sort of was forced off the show, and um, I, and then I just, I said, okay, that's fine. I'm I'm going to have a baby, and I, I'm looking forward to this experience. And so I, I was off the show. I found my I found myself off the show. I'll just put it that way. After Laverne and Shirley, did you decide to focus mainly on your fine uh, family and step back a little bit from uh, the acting career? Yes, I did. I was offered a lot of things, but I just wanted to concentrate on my. Um, my family, having my family. One thing I have to ask you about before we go, and then we'll talk about where folks can get this book. And if you're my age, I'm in my forties. I grew up with Laverne and Shirley and happy days. You have to read this uh, if you were a fan. And I certainly was, but one of the things I think is really neat about this book is you talk about your, uh, encounters with legends, Hollywood legends and entertainment legends, Gene Kelly, Lucille Ball, little Richard, Cary Grant, and the list goes on and on. So I'll just ask you about one of those people, because I think he was just the most suave guy ever in the history of film. Uh, and I'm thinking, of course, but I think any guy that watches him on film say, boy, I wish I could just be him for a day. Just be that cool, that collected, yeah. that good looking Cary Grant. Yeah. Tell us your Cary Grant story uh, or, or one of them. Uh, even saying his name. Well, yeah. well, I, I, I was asked to um, go to Hollywood Park and and pick during between races, uh, pick the name out of like thousands and thousands of of names of the recipients for a year's worth of free groceries. That was it during the um, between races, 
and to pose with the winning horse from the, I don't know, third race or fourth race, and to go up to the clubhouse, which is very, you know, um, uh, it's a unique experience. Uh, I'm not a racehorse enthusiast. I, you know, I, I'm not into racing because I, I'm just, anyway, I'm not. Um, and so when I was coming back from doing the, my little stint, uh, on the racetrack, I came back up into the club. I'd taken my mother for a day at, at the races and I, and Doodles Weaver, who's an old character actor. Yeah, I know who, friend. I know who he was. I mean, I can picture him in my mind. Yeah. Right. So I, um, so I'm, I'm coming back into the clubhouse going toward my, where my mother and Doodles are sitting and I, I hear this voice behind me shout out my name and I'm just like every cell in my body just trailed for another word. I'm a Catholic girl, but I'm going to use that word. <laughs> and I just, I was so thrilled by this voice and I turned around and they're standing in a shaft of heavenly light dressed in a white suit was Cary Grant. And all I could think of was Cary Grant just said my name. And I looked at him and he said, well done, Cindy. And I was like, <laughs> and I could not speak. I just couldn't speak. And I, I said, thank you. I managed that. And I went to my table and I sat down. And before I could say anything to my mother, who was sitting across from me, she she goes, oh, my God, look, it's Cary Grant. And she screams out his name, Cary Grant. And I look, and he's walking toward our table. And she goes, is he coming this way? And I kick her under the table to stop her from shouting his name. And he comes over. He was so wonderful. And he takes my mother. I introduce him. And he says hello to Doodles. They were old friends. And I didn't, I, you know, I, I, I didn't know that at the time. Anyway, he takes my mother's hand and uh, and and he and I introduce my mother. No, I say, "Well, hello, Mr. Grant." She goes, "Hello, Mr. Grant," and I go, "This is my mother, Frances." And and um, she says, "My name is Frances," and he says, "Well, hello, Frances," and he takes her hand and squeezes it. You know, and my mother, my mother just went crazy. <laughs> she just started. You know, she just went crazy. And I had to, like, I had my foot on point to kick her again to make her shut up. I did kick her. That's it. And it's in the book. And she goes, Al, you kicked me? And I said, no, no, I didn't. And he's standing right there, Cary Grant. Anyway, it's all in the book. And it was something. And I got the impression that he had, that he liked Laverne and Shirley. He didn't say it, but I just got the impression that he, I, I thought, He's seen Laverne and Shirley, and I wonder if he if he's seen it enough to recognize the fact that I I scooped up his um, his takes that he did in Arsenic and Old Lace because I always used his double take from Arsenic and Old Lace. He's so funny in that movie. If you ever get a chance, yeah, great to see movie, it. great movie, yeah. Yeah, and I would suggest everybody see Cary Grant in our Smith and Old Lace, and they'll be delighted. Oh yeah, and the funny thing is, maybe he was everything. Go ahead, go ahead. He was everything you would you would imagine him to be, just as you described him, Jim. 
and more. Just his presence was <gasps> breathtaking. And the funny thing is, is maybe he went home that day and said, guess who I saw? I saw Cindy Williams. <laughs> oh, I'm certain <laughs> he did, Jim. I'm absolutely certain he did. And her mother, Frances. Yes. Well, it, it's been a pleasure for me and an honor for me to talk to you, Cindy, for this, this half hour or so. Now, this book, uh, again, sounds like a treasure trove of great stories, anecdotes, uh, your history, your career. Uh, where can folks pick up on it uh, and, and, and anything else that you want to promote as we close out today? Well, it's, um, well, right now I'm doing a, a musical called Meshuganuts with Eddie Mecca. Oh in, yeah. Um, the big ragu. Rochester, <laughs> right. In Rochester, Michigan at the Meadowbrook theater. Um, but it, my book, Shirley, I just comes out, um, uh, May 1st, and it'll be in Barnes & Noble, and uh, you can get it on Amazon.com, and hopefully all kinds of places, and uh, if I'm not standing on the street peddling it, but it it really, I wrote it for the reader to enjoy themselves. It's a fast read. There's nothing salacious. I throw nobody under the book, uh, under the bus. I was going to, although that would be a correct uh, statement, under the book. Yeah. I, um... I uh, just set out to make people uh, really um, have a great read and maybe laugh out loud a few times. And it's it's a very quick read. It's um, my friends have told me and people who've read it. And I'm very I'm very proud of it. It's fun. It's a fun fun book. And it's I just wrote it to make you happy. Well, we thank you so much, Cindy Williams, for joining us today on TV You Grew Up With. Thank you, Jim. And thank you for tuning in. We certainly appreciate it. If you enjoy our interview with great stars like Cindy Williams, please subscribe for free on iTunes and please tell your friends. And we'll talk to you next time. Stay tuned. Don't touch that. Button.